0: This is the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast, here to educate, inform and support general practice staff in Nottinghamshire. Get to know about those who represent you, as well as all the latest information from Notts LMC at your leisure. Tune in and subscribe to our podcast today, hosted by me, Zenaida Morrison, at podbean.com. Today I'm joined by Dr Tony Avery, a GP at the Valley Surgery in Chilwell, and a Professor of Primary Care at the University of Nottingham, a position he has held for over 20 years since 1992. His academic work was contributed greatly to the medical profession, particularly in areas of prescribing and patient safety. His most notable work perhaps being the pincer intervention, a pharmacy-led IT-based intervention that changed the way practitioners deal with prescribing and has contributed to the reduction of prescribing errors in general practice nationwide. Hello, Dr. Avery, how are you doing?
1: Hi, very well, thank you.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Welcome. (laughs) Now, um, I have only, you know, vaguely touched on your career and your accomplishments uh, in that intro, and of course, that is what you are most notable for. However, I recently uh, became more familiar with your work following a communications that were sent out that highlighted a great achievement of yours um, that I'd like us to discuss shortly. We won't discuss that just yet, but we will get into that. But first, I want to ask you some human verification questions. <laughs> <laughs> I need to make sure that I am indeed speaking with a human being and not a robot. So. It's just a couple of questions, two questions, Um, and then we will go into finding out a bit more about you. So going into your professional accomplishments, uh, as well as getting to know a little bit more about your background, your passions, and um, of course, your favorite beverage of choice. So let's start with the latter. Um, We've recently returned from the Christmas break, you know, where I'm sure... Many of us have had lots of festivities, including drinks. So the first verification question is, what's your go-to beverage of choice? Now, it can be alcoholic or non-alcoholic. It can be hot or cold. There's no judgments on this platform. So, yeah, what would you drink any time of the day?
1: Oh, any time of the day. It's the most common is Voidbosch uh, tea. Uh, but if I'm relaxing in the evening, it'll usually either be a glass of red wine or a dog beer. Is probably my favourite beer.
0: Hmm, that's nice. That's nice. And and why tea and not coffee? Um,
1: I prefer not having caffeine actually. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I just found some years ago it was just sort of making me a little bit uh, I don't know a bit bit, bit shaky, and uh, I just find it yeah, I find it's better. Not, not having caffeine and, uh, yeah, I'm fine with that.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. I think that's um, also the reason why I prefer tea to coffee. I mean, I do love coffee and it smells amazing, but the caffeine is a, a no-no for me. Um, okay. So question two, uh, I like that answer by the way. So question two, a grandfather, two fathers and two sons went to the movie theater They went to the movie theatre together and everyone bought one movie ticket each. How many tickets did they buy in total?
1: Say that again. You've got a grandfather.
0: Yes. Two two fathers. fathers. And two sons. They all went to the movie theatre together and everyone bought one movie ticket each. How many tickets did they buy in total?
1: There's a grandfather, there's two fathers. And then there's two sons, but it doesn't necessarily say there's two sons for uh, each of the fathers. Mm. So I guess it's my immediate thing. It's looking like five to me, but I'm sure there's a different ways of interpreting this. <laughs> yes,
0: that's right. So that's the immediate uh, obvious answer, but it's actually incorrect. Do you have another guess by any chance? It's a tricky question.
1: Well, the fathers could also be grand. Oh, that's interesting. Sorry. Yes, of course. Uh, this the grandfather and then the father, two sons. Uh, the grandfather could also be the father of the two sons. So the grandfather, two fathers, and, and two sons. It, it could be three.
0: Yes, I'm going to stop you there. That is good. the right answer. So it to took a while to get there. <laughs> No, that's fine. It was a little bit of a trick question, but it it was very smartly put together. So I think so it's a grandfather uh, who he's the grandfather and he also is a father. Um, His son is a son, but is also a father. And the father has a son. So yes, it's three. It's three tickets all together. So well done. And I can, in fact, verify that you are indeed human. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So now let's let's go to the beginning of your professional career. Um, as I mentioned in the intro, you have been working in this, in the capacity of professor of primary care and as a general practitioner since 1992. So it's a very kind of long, um, uh, stretched out career, which is great. Um, what made you decide to take this career trajectory as far as, you know, that hybrid between academia and, and kind of on the ground practice is concerned
1: i decided i wanted to be a gp uh when i was at medical school in sheffield um, but pretty much from the start um i decided that i want to do general practice and something something else so that i want to work full time but do general practice part of my time and something else the rest of my time um, i came to nottingham to do my vocational training which i enjoyed and i was still thinking about what else uh, what what might be the other thing and I particularly enjoyed paediatrics and I uh, got on well with paediatrics and then did the um, two-year community paediatric rotation following my my GP training uh, with the idea that that might be my specialist interest um, but it was in doing that and particularly the studying towards my membership for the Royal College of GPs that I really came across uh, I suppose sort of a Research which hadn't been masses, but but the research that had been done in in general practice, uh, and how important that was in both pointing out, um, uh, you know, what we could do well, the ways in which we could improve our, our care, uh, and and um, you know, it says what the care was like, and to be able to answer, you know, important questions uh, that, that affect us every day as GPs, and finding that you know many of those simple questions. Had not been answered some of them have been answered now uh that we have more studies of, of how we manage uh, the sort of conditions that we we deal with in general practice uh, so that became a particular motivation thinking actually i'd really like to do this i'd like to do this a sort of mixture of general practice uh, of practicing as a gp um but also research and then also realizing that as an academic i'd be involved in teaching which i thought would be great um, and so i was fortunate to to um be able to apply for a post which came up in Nottingham, a, a lecturer post in general practice linked to uh, a part time position at the Valley Surgery in Chilwell uh, and that I got that in 1992 and that was just fantastic for me to have that launch my career really.
0: Mm, no that sounds um, that sounds really good, I mean how straightforward was it for you to make that decision kind of after your medical degree and your foundation training because of course every year we're getting new gps um fresh out of training and kind of in that space where they're trying to figure out okay what next uh, which which direction which speciality uh, do i want to focus on so how straightforward was it for you do you think in making that decision
1: um uh, it felt for me that the decision was pretty straight Forward. The the outcome actually getting a getting a post so quickly, I think, was very fortuitous. I mean, at the time that I made that decision, I was really prepared to go anywhere around the country and i remember particularly looking at a, a quite an interesting post in inner city in the city manchester so we really were prepared to go anywhere uh, but it was then just very fortuitous that a post came up in in nottingham and uh, i was able to apply for that and 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 get it so in retrospect it feels quite straightforward and i'm aware that certainly for gps wanting to get into academia nowadays it could be quite a uh quite a sort of uh, lengthy and ongoing pro- process uh certainly to get to a point where you've got a permanent position in a university alongside your general practice
0: mm-hmm. yeah okay so um let's go a little bit deeper into your career so of course you you got the post um at Chilwell practice and it came um hand in hand with uh, a kind of academic um arm to it so that was wonderful um let's get into you know, years into into this role. So for context, and just to set the context for for listeners, I mean, you led a a major expansion of the Division of Primary Care from between 1998 and 2012. You secured membership of the uh, National Institute for Health Research School for Primary Care Research in 2009. Um, And you were appointed Director of Research for the School of Medicine in 2013, and later became dean and head of the school in 2015 uh, to 2019. So that's a lot of accomplishment really um, throughout this period that you've been within this position. Um, I know your specific field of speciality is prescribing and patient safety. Your research is in this field ultimately unearthed a pharmacy-led IT-based intervention um, that was rolled out nationally and has helped general practice nationwide significantly in reducing prescribing errors tell us a bit more about that intervention what was your reason for focusing on prescribing error and patient safety in terms of statistics how did it lead to being rolled out on a national scale
1: yeah well when you enter uh, sort of academic and you're thinking about what type of research to do um i mean it's more accident and really that i got into um uh, Describing just because um, there was an opportunity to apply for a grant which we, we got and then uh, uh, I guess the, less, the, rest, the rest is history. Um, but then the thing that really drove me, my real passion is around patient safety and trying to make sure that as, as doctors and health professionals we avoid harming patients. And my uh, work is particularly orientated around first of all identifying what the problem is so particularly you know we're working with practices in our area in Chilwell and Beeston it's a fantastic sort of network of practices we've got um, where we did some early work in terms of looking at how common um, medication errors were doing literature reviews on that as well um, and coming to the point of, of, of identifying what the most important problems were how common they were and then thinking about how we maybe have to do something about these and realizing that we've got fantastic potential with our GP computer system both in terms of lagging up to us if there were problems when we come to prescribe but also being able to identify those patients who were uh, taking medicines and maybe at risk from those those medicines where a prescribing decision had already been made so we did work in terms of interrogating GP computer systems to identify the patients most at risk and then we're thinking about well, what's going to be the most effective way of doing something about that and uh, you know the literature suggested that simply feeding back information to doctors can have some effect but it doesn't have a great effect um and so that came to the idea that well let's have uh, another health professional like a pharmacist work with a, a general practice use something called educational outreach where the pharmacist is armed with all the facts about the issues that are being raised uh, and then provide practical support to make the changes necessary so that's where we had the idea of, of what we call the pincer intervention um okay. we managed to get funded to do a, a large randomised trial of of that in the east midlands and cheshire um And we showed that to be effective, that got published in the the Lancet. And then we had a fantastic opportunity that the Health Foundation came up with a called the scaling up improvement initiative, uh, which allowed uh, groups like ourselves to sort of bid, to say, look, we've got something we've shown to be effective. We now want to try and scale it up. And with the support from the Academic Health Science Network in the East Midlands and, and from GPs and a whole range of other people, including the sort of pharmacists and the clinical commissioning groups, we were able to roll this out successfully to 98, 94% of practices in, in Leicestershire, Derbyshire uh, and, uh, and Nottinghamshire. And again, showed that to work effectively. Um, so it's then that, um, that they got picked up nationally uh was picked up by by nice as something being recommended uh, for gps to be done and and also as part of the world health organization Patient safety challenge on reducing uh, harm from medication areas. It was all sort of picked up nationally as being one of the things that the NHS decided to do um, to try and uh, address medication uh, or, or safety of prescribing in general practice. And so that resulted in in a nationally the academic health science networks linked with uh, our Primus team at the University of Nottingham um, rolling this out, and it's it's now been rolled out to just over forty percent of practices across the country
0: amazing that's um that's that's quite brilliant so it was recommended by nice and 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 backed by the nhs and then rolled out through the the health science networks um wow um so this work that you did i guess also allowed you to uh go further in terms of uh producing a big study i believe for the for the general medical council um and then further help to change the curriculum really of the rcgp um the rcgp curriculum tell us a bit more about that how is that there
1: yeah so the general medical council had, had commissioned a study of medication errors in hospitals and having done that uh decided to do the same in in general practice and we were fortunate to be the, the team that they did successfully to do that um and this sort of identified the the frequency, nature, and causes of uh, medication errors in general practice, um, and resulted in quite an influential uh, report uh, published by the by the General Medical Council. And in brief, showed showed that there are errors in about five percent, or one in twenty uh, prescriptions, and serious errors in about one in 550 prescriptions Um, and that led me to think uh, we just had a hunch at the time that 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 might be more of a problem certainly wasn't in in hospitals in relation to doctors in in training and then we looked at the rcgp curriculum and and discovered that even though it's a massive curriculum there was relatively little there on prescribing and patient safety Uh, and so then Worked with the Royal College um, to think about, well, to, to result in some tweaks to their, their curriculum to make sure there was more on prescribing and patient safety, to make sure there was more in the Royal College of GPs uh, membership exam uh, on that. Um, and then to develop a, a an, an approach which is now being rolled out nationally where all gps in training have to do a self-review of their of their medication uh, using a system that we've uh, we've developed uh, and uh, you know guidance that we've developed uh, whereby they they look in detail at the medications they've, they've they've done about 50 or 60 medications and then identify uh problems with with those uh, prescriptions. And uh, it's been really tremendous uh, how well the GPs in training have have responded to that and take it really seriously. Um, yeah. And we've had some very, very good feedback, you know, in the sort of 80, 90% in terms of both the GPs in training and the, and the, and the trainers themselves um, uh, saying it's been a use, useful exercise and, uh, and has resulted in uh, mm-hmm. trainees improving their prescribing.
0: Yeah, that's so that's an that's an amazing um, accomplishment right then. All the work and the research that you've been doing now, um, seeing that it's 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 something that has been put into the curriculum for for trainee doctors and that it's something they have to do really to to qualify. So that's really amazing. Um, it's it's obviously clear that you have many highlights throughout your career. However, more recently you were part of the Queen's Honours list to receive an OBE for services to general practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, A huge feat in in your career. Talk us through the moment you found out and how it feels to receive this honour. Yeah, uh, it
1: it was fantastic. I mean, just as as so many other people describe it, complete surprise. I was fortunate to be working at home that day uh doing some of my academic work uh came down for lunch my wife said there's been some mail um pick up an envelope says the cabinet office on the front and i'm thinking why would the cabinet office be uh writing to me of course then opened it up and then uh, and, and saw that i'd been recommended for the obe so you know my wife and i then uh, you know, whooping and hollering and jumping up and down. We we're quite excited about it all. Um, and then it was it was also lovely then because because we then had to uh, sort of keep it secret uh, then for the next uh, six weeks or so. Um, I had to start, you know, uh, send something back saying that I would accept it and fill in some further details. Um, and then we were just uh, just waiting until um the the announcement late on new year's eve and on new year's day yeah. um uh if, before we could tell other people it means a a, a a lot to me i mean a, a, as so many other recipients would say you know they, they you, you don't get these without the tremendous sort of work and contribution that others have, have made to your career both both you know, my colleagues in general practice and my colleagues Uh, at the university and within the Royal College of GPs but um, yeah and I'm tremendously grateful to that and also tremendously grateful to to whoever put me put me forward for for the award because I know that there's a a considerable amount of work that goes into into that so yeah I feel very very grateful
0: yeah I was actually I was actually gonna um, mention because um, (laughs) going through you know uh, your your um, Twitter Twitter page and, um, just looking at how many people are inspired by you, um, and who kind of, uh, quote you as their inspiration, um, within the, me- the medical space. So, uh, I, I can only imagine that, you know, they would want to do what they can to make sure that you are recognized, um, at this level. So that's, that's really good. Um, so I want to go back all the way to your childhood what were you like growing up? What was your family dynamic and what was your role in it?
1: Um, so I was the eldest of four boys. Uh, uh, I was just like I am now. I, I've, I was someone who was involved in lots of things. So I, I you know, did, well at, did well at school, but I was also involved in lots of other things, like sort of sport and music and, and uh, things like that, involved quite heavily in the scouts at, um, in, in in Leicester, um, yeah, have lots of friends. Just enjoyed doing, you know, lots of things alongside my my work. So it it, it, was, it was a little bit like it is is now. But I um, I still I still do loads and loads of different things apart from uh, you know my GP work and my, my academic work.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you, you said you grew up in Leicester. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Okay. And so now you're based in Nottingham. Yeah, um, I I suppose I can't answer you this cheeky question. Which one is your favourite city?
1: <laughs> uh, well, I think we do. I mean, let's just this great. But I mean, we we do like Nottingham, and it's it's uh, you know there've been you know opportunities to go elsewhere over time. And uh, when we sort of sat down and thought about it, uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot going for, for for Nottingham. I think it's a really good city. Um, and uh yeah you get to lots of great places from it as well
0: do you support a, a football team uh um primary forest or Leicester? yeah city?
1: i sort of i can't say that i'm a, a committed committed fan but i mean it was just so exciting following leicester city a few years ago when they yeah. When they won uh, the Premier League and then went on to win the FA Cup, uh, yeah. and it was really nice being in Nottingham. we sort of missed missed the heyday of Nottingham Forest, but really, really enjoyed taking my my son along to Nottingham Forest uh, matches in the in the sort of 2000s uh, when Forest were doing reasonably well at that time.
0: Yes, I, actually, um, what, what you mentioned with regards to Leicester City, when they won the Premier League, I was, I was actually there uh, doing my master's at the University of Leicester, so I remember when they, they brought the cup in and it was a big celebration and they all came on, I can't remember, like a bus or something yeah, like yeah. yeah. Was, was, there was a big parade, it was really lovely. Um, okay, so you're a GP, you're a professor, but you're also a husband. And a mm-hmm. father of two so what are you like as a family man if you could summarize yourself in three words perhaps within your family setting what three words would they would you use sorry
1: oh gosh that's so difficult three words um uh, well i think i'm, I'm quite fun at, at home so I have a lot, lot of um, yeah i have a lot of fun um i think i'm very sort of committed to my family and very supportive of the family, so I guess that's three. That's three words, really, isn't it?
0: Yes, supportive, committed. Yeah. Was the third one. Uh, fun. And fun. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Would 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 your wife and your kids agree with that?
1: <laughs> well, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to see. <laughs> but it's very interesting, you know. One of the things with with. um just because, of course, I've obviously worked really, really hard uh, during my career, but there have been times where, say, say colleagues or friends might have met, met my son or daughter and uh, and they'll say, oh, I bet you never see your dad. And they're like, sort of, what? You know, because I have, you know, I have been around for them. So I've sort of managed to fit my work around that, you know, I've always been a now do do bedtime stories and and take them to places and both of them do loads of mountain biking and things like things like that. So yeah. I think I've managed to make sure that I have had time for for family alongside you know a very very busy career.
0: Yes, um, I mean and even during this pan pandemic uh, era where general practice is inundated, they're they're so you know overloaded when it comes to work um how how have you managed your time i guess with family uh, and then obviously in this in this space right now how has that been for you
1: um well i think for a lot, lot of people it's been very challenging um i mean it's you know I'm, I'm in terms of the workload of the pandemic you know i'm fortunate that way around in the only a proportion of times in in the the practice so it's been much much more challenging for um for the gps who are, who are doing more sessions than i do but um yeah i mean it's 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 pretty exhausting which is why i, I as i say i've, I've got everything sympathy and respect for your colleagues who um are working much more than i do in in, in general practice um you know, I mean it was certainly very, very challenging mm. in the early stages where I did increase my my commitment and you know I, was, I guess that fear that one had around this this virus and uh, and not wanting to catch it while also being committed to try and do the best we can for patients.
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, how would you what what did, what would you um, say to to other practice staff, other practitioners? um particularly dealing with finding that balance uh what have you or what did you do or what have you done that helped you to find that that healthy balance
1: well as i say, i, I, don't, I don't know whether i'm the best person in terms of the the balance for uh say full-time or near full-time uh g gps because mm-hmm. of having the you know, there's a diff- different thing in terms of the i think the hours that i've put in on the academic side and The hours that people put into general practice and just how challenging and exhausting that is. I think the key thing for me is is trying to compartmentalise things. Um, you know, I remember, for example, the time when I was dean of the school of medicine at Nottingham, and you know, I was working very, very long hours there. And I remember, in terms of coming back home, there'd be all sorts of things on my mind, all sorts of things that were worrying me. Um, but I was sort of thinking about the limited time I had to say with my wife in an evening or or something, or if we went for a walk at the weekend, I think to mm-hmm. myself, well, do I want to spend this time actually talking about work, or do I actually want to, to get away from work and talk about something different? Mm-hmm. So that's where I think I try, of course you do bring some things home, but I try not to bring things home and, and perhaps just, you know, just every, every now and then sort of bring up um it's something that you particularly want to discuss about about work so i think that's the key thing for for me um it's it's having that that downtime um and, and be able to do do things that you find uh relaxing and allow you to sort of get away from work
0: right No, that's that's kind of really good advice actually um okay so i'm gonna move away a, a little bit away from that and more kind of trying to get your perspective on some of the things that are happening now um, in, in, in general practice. Um, of course, we know that you know, it's general practice is in a troubling state uh, as far as you know, things like funding, resources, and retention of, uh, of staff is concerned. Um, in addition to practitioners being under immense pressure uh, with the sheer volume of work, uh, and, and also what's coming through from, from secondary care as well, because there's a bit of a kind of um, shifting of, of some work from secondary care uh, into primary care. Being heavily involved in medical research and academics and understanding general practice as a GP yourself, what bridges do you, do you feel that we can join between primary and secondary care that would make for a better healthcare system?
1: Well, I'd hope that the you know, integrated care systems would make a, a difference here, um, um, and so to try and look at that as positively as possible. You know, the idea is for these systems to be trying uh, to be to be aiming to to break down barriers to do what's best for the for our our patients. Um, but it's absolutely essential that. Um, you know the challenges of general practice are, are recognized in this and it's not yet another um, thing where more and more work is piled on on general practice um right. the, you know the, there's, there's got to be that recognition and understanding that that, that we need help you know we, we we're desperately under-resourced uh, particularly in terms of uh, in terms of general practitioners and we need to be uh, trying to address that but also looking at other ways in which things can be that things can be done um, that don't require putting more and more work on us so actually you know it comes down to this resourcing you know that yeah despite us taking on more and more and more work in primary care you know our share of the budget has actually gone down you know it was about 9.6 percent of the budget in 2007 it's 8.1 uh in in 2017 as we know uh gp numbers have been uh going going down i think in the last six years we've lost about 1700 full-time equivalent gps uh and yet you know, for example consultant numbers continue to go up there's been a about a 50% increase in consultants uh I think between 2004 and 2007 um uh, and i think those numbers are either stabilizing or continuing to go up so there's got to be a recognition of that um yeah. in the way in which things that are, are, are done um and and um and if we're working together you know as an in- integrated uh, system um to be looking at what help we can be, we can be giving, and, and what uh, what sort of sharing and redirection of resources can actually go into primary care, so that we can do the jobs that we all want to be be doing.
0: Absolutely. I mean, um, as an LMC, I know it's something that we we had started, I believe, uh, when PCNs came into effect, um, and trying to host events where we could get, uh, you know practitioners within general practice and, and then also secondary care to to come and engage with each other and kind of share that knowledge and understanding um so that hopefully we could see we could see a, a kind of positive shift on on both on both sides so yeah it's there's, there's a lot to be done in that area um as much as there is in in many other areas really and you know, the government have to you know, be able to see this and identify what the, the real struggle is on the ground when it comes to general practice. Um, with regards to. Negative and misleading representation of general practice, especially during this pandemic. Um, you know, general practice have been very instrumental. Uh, uh, concerning the the vaccination program, also concerning this current booster program in making sure that majority of the population are getting vaccinated. However, they haven't been portrayed in that light. Um, The light that they've been portrayed in is that they're they're not doing uh, that much, um, that they're closed. A lot of information that's very inaccurate. They've been working above and beyond, really, throughout the Christmas break uh, to get the adult population um, vaccinated with the booster. And it's been very challenging, especially with you know, anti-vaxxers and, and pockets in the community um, where there is vaccine hesitancy. Uh, a new and more kind of concerning threat right now is that, you know especially particularly when it comes to pregnant women. Uh, that they're fearful of getting vaccinated, despite stark statistics that many are ending up in ICU um, and you know stillbirths are on an all time high. Being at the fore of primary care research, how do you feel that workforce is faring as translators to patients when it comes to medical evidence, particularly in this COVID era? And what ways do you think the profession can improve to Ensure less fatalities occurring?
1: Okay, that's quite a challenging, uh, multifaceted question. I mean, uh, you know, first of all, I mean, GPs are working above and beyond every single day, and um, you know, it's having the workloads having a yeah, sometimes devastating effect in terms of mental health uh, and ability for GPS to carry carry on um, yeah. so it's an incredibly challenging environment and and you know I like many other GPS have been incredibly upset about the sort of negative betrayal in certain media um, I think it's really important that you know individuals and, and leaders do push back against that uh, and despite some criticisms I think I think you know our leaders, Perhaps after a slow start of actually uh, actually being doing that, um, so I think I think that's uh, that's important. Yeah. Um, I try myself not to take things too much too heart because I, you know I, there is some. I don't know quite what the agenda is and what the underlying reason is behind it and whether it's coordinated or not. But uh, you know there is some strange agenda out there because because clearly you know. We are making massively hard, massive the commitments that uh, that, that we've made as, as GPs, um, you GPs, know, particularly over over the course of the, the pandemic. Um, and amazing how flexible that we've we've been, and 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 how as you you say, uh, amazing but that we've taken on uh, ma- you know several extra tasks on top of everything else, particularly in terms of the uh, the, the vaccine vaccine okay. program. Um, so I think for me as you know general practices and general practitioners, we need to be trying to you know look after ourselves as much as we can in the context of what's going on. And unfortunately at the moment, meaning that actually we probably do need to look at uh you know what we can be doing and what we what we can't be can't be doing, um, with that recognition that we are massively underdoctored by, you know, these 6,000 GPs at the moment, at a time where increased pressures are, are, are upon us. Um, so it is that to be looking at, at different ways, ways of working, but for me, still holding out for wanting to get to a point or back to a point of, of having a you know, better resource general practice, better resource primary care, so that we can do all those things that we know make such a difference to yeah. our patients and make such a difference to the population?
0: Yeah, um no, that I think I think that answered the first part of the question, which was to do with the, the representation of general practice, um especially within the media. Um, but the 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 latter one really was in terms of uh you know, is that do you see there being any other improvements um in terms of how we're translating medical you know, evidence to, to patients so that they, they understand the importance of, you know, for example, um, getting the COVID vaccine or, you know, getting the booster. Yeah, uh,
1: Well, I think, um, I mean, it's a general, general point, uh, I think we're very well positioned as general practitioners, uh, we're working in the NHS with all the information that we have, uh, to be providing the, you know, sort of best, um, uh, care for patients and providing you know, most up to date evidence based care uh, because it is so easy to find the if, if you don't know it immediately in your head anyway what what is the latest guidance on on uh, managing um, you know, virtually virtually any condition, right?
0: Um,
1: and I think it's our communications with with patients that are very very important and you know there have been some great examples of gps and i realize this is going well above and beyond but you know gps who, who have, you have know pushed to protect patients who may be uh, resistant to taking uh, taking the vaccine and you know often that that conversation um does does make the difference um right. You know, I'm aware of that with some of my, my patients and I'm aware of that in terms of the influence of, of say family members in, in, in helping to encourage someone who was reluctant to actually take take the take the vaccine. Um, so I think those individual conversations are, are important. The, the challenge of course is with all the pressures we're under um, uh, you know, having the time and space to, to do that. but I guess particularly for the most the most vulnerable patients then, and trying to take the time to to do that and to help ensure people get their vaccination uh, i think is really really important
0: well thank you uh dr avery this is um we're whittling down really to the end and and that's some really kind of good advice that that you've provided for us so thank you for that and and thank you for for joining us today particularly in shedding um you know some light on on your life and and your career and, and And your great accomplishments um so before you before we do leave how can people reach you
1: so you know on twitter i'm at tony avery number one uh and um and then i mean if if people put tony avery university of nottingham into into google you'll you'll find my details there if anyone wanted to contact me by email
0: wonderful thank you so much and and that's that's really it from from me today if you've enjoyed listening to this episode we have more to come and i will be announcing each episode through our nottinghamshire lmc weekly e-update episodes will be released on the third wednesday of each month so if you are working in general practice in nottingham and nottinghamshire please ensure you get onto our email distribution list by emailing our comms and events assistant, rahima.din at knotslmc.co.uk. For now, you can also follow our podcast by downloading Podbean on your phone, and you can also follow us on Spotify. All you have to do is go to Google Play or your Apple Store, and you can sign up and get notifications every time we release an episode. So thanks once again to those of you are, who are listening, and I, I look forward to my next session with you. I'll be sharing updates about subsequent episodes on the website at nottinghamsharelmc.co.uk and on our social media handle at LMC. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Nottinghamshire LMC podcast for subsequent episodes with me, Zenaida Morrison at podbean.com. Bye for now.